greetings. So um, as Tim introduced you, my name is Laura. Uh, just a little bit about me. Um, you're probably wondering who I am. I am based at Telford Minster, which is in Southwater in the town centre. I've been there for a year and a half. I'm a curate there, so I'm training, um, church leader in training, basically. Uh, a bit like Ellie, who's going to come and join you in the summer, which is great. And I'm also a wife to my husband, Mike. He's away doing a theological course this week, so he's not here today, but um, I'm sure he'll look forward to meeting you all. And I'm mum to our daughter, Caitlin, who had her 18th birthday on Friday. Um, so we were celebrating that this week, which is fantastic. Uh, and I am so excited to be here and to be joining you guys for a few months and unpacking what God has for you and seeing what God's doing here. Um, it's an exciting place to be. And the Bible is such an incredible tool for us, isn't it? It's such an amazing gift from God for us to think about what it's like in our lives today and how we approach um, wilderness places as we're talking about today. So let's just pray um, before I bring the word that God's put on my heart. Lord, as we think about wilderness places, as we think about what it means when we feel far from anyone, would you help us to hear your voice today? Would you give me the words to say and give us the ears to hear what you have for us this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. So in today's reading from Matthew, we find Jesus fasting and he was far away from community and food, and here he faced a test. And that test comes when Jesus is at his weakest. His comforts of home are far behind, his family aren't there. He, he's just appeared and started his ministry, and then he's led into the wilderness, and a tempter enters in. So just a little bit of context for Matthew's Gospel. When we pick up Matthew's Gospel, we're presented with a family tree. I don't know if any of you have looked at the beginning of Matthew recently, but it starts with a family tree, doesn't it? Lots of names, lots of people. And this helps us know that Jesus is from the line of David, a family tree which tells us the Messiah, the sent one from God, has come. And here we read that he's conceived of the Holy Spirit. He's both God and human. And we learn of how his humble birth is missed by the powerful and the corrupt, yet it's heralded by the lowly shepherds and wise men from afar, which I'm sure we looked at recently at Christmas time. And then we learn of his baptism by John the Baptist. And in this, the Holy Spirit descends on him like a dove with a voice from heaven that proclaims, this is my son who I love and with him I'm well pleased. All signs that as you begin this gospel, there's something deeply special about this young man just beginning his 30s. And he's probably feeling quite in a quite good place. You know, he's, he's just had his baptism. God said, I'm really pleased with you. And everything seems to be going well. And then we find this seemingly rude interruption where, as if he's kind of plucked from these affirmations of being God's beloved son. And Jesus is sent by the Spirit not to walk towards the capitals and centers of influence, but instead into the Judean wilderness, a dead zone, a brutal and barren kind of place. And it would have had scorching, hellish heat. And into this, a young, hungry, physically weakened man is cast. As we read or hear this gospel, we're kind of left wondering, like, how will this man respond this person who says he's the sent one, who God said it's got his son, how is he going to respond? Will he live up to the promises that have been spoken over him? 
Or will he cave, collapsing as his support structures are ripped from beneath him? And Jesus in the wilderness faces, faces a monumental test. And as we read it and look at it through our cultural lens that we live in today, we might get a bit muddled. I don't know about you, but when I think of wildernesses, I think of kind of beautiful places. I think of, yeah, I'd love to go spend some time in a nice, quiet place, um, in a spacious place where I can just breathe and be, and it'll be lovely. And um, recently, there's been a bit of a debate, hasn't there? The last wild camping site in England has been maybe taken away from people being able to camp there because people love getting back to the wild. Um, I met up with my school friends a couple of weeks ago, and we were planning our annual camping trip with our families, and we are debating, do we go for just basic camping, somewhere where there might be a kind of okay toilet, or do we go for the full-on glamping with the bell tents and a nice toilet that you can actually flush? and a shower that has hot water. We did end up going for the bell tent situation. Uh, but the idea of going back to nature with the fire and the wood and the wilderness and just being there with nature appears to us as being quite a good thing. And some of us like that idea of going to the wild. But what it actually is like in the wild here, as the history of the Bible tells us, is here we see people facing trials and testing and temptations to give in to thoughts and feelings that actually move us away from God. It's a different kind of wild. It's not the kind of wild that our cultural lens wants us to see. Rather than beautiful holidays and spacious places, it's a hard place. It's a barren place. But it's in this place in the wild where we are formed. Through the hard things, we find our shape. As a culture, we've kind of got a mixed relationship with trials and testing. I mean, who here actually likes a test? Anyone like sitting tests? Tim does. (laughs) But society loves tests, doesn't it? Think about how many tests you have done in your life. I mean, driving tests, GCSEs, A-levels, maybe NVQs, maybe tests to pass and get a job. We don't like them, though, do we, unless we're Tim? (laughs) Because we fear that kind of like failure. We don't want to get it wrong. We want to pass. It's just hard work. But somehow, we can't stop watching others face trials and temptations. In the sporting arena, as a culture, we glued to scenarios and stories and competitions in which humans are tried and tested. We cheer for those who pass the test, and it's our greatest delight if the popularity of reality TV tells us anything, seems to be watching people fail at tests. Actually, if you think about it, most of our reality TV shows are us watching people fail at tests. My husband and daughter love the show, I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. I don't know if there's any fans in the room, but they had a new series just before Christmas and they were there every night. I've got to watch I'm a Celebrity, got to watch this and see these people. And what they do in that show, um, I find it really difficult to watch because it's just like, oh, but they eat bugs and like they have like trials where they face these difficult temptations but they want to get the chocolate at the end so they have to eat these horrible things to be able to 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 get to the point where they get the good meal or the or the chocolate or they win things for their team and we love to watch trials and tests but only when they're happening to someone else but when we face tests ourselves 
they tend to often be a barometer of our heart, don't they? A bit of a real-time diagnostic tool which cuts through all the kind of facades of our lives, the things that we cover ourselves with, and reveal the character of what's inside our hearts. Tests not only build character, but they also reveal who we are. And maybe that's why we avoid them. And this is why perhaps generations of Christians are drawn to the gospel's accounts of Jesus in the wilderness. And as we hear this story, we wonder how will the Saviour face this greatest of tests? Now, familiar readers of the Bible may understand some of the nuances and patterns in this story and actually think we've been here before when they hear Matthew's account. The Bible is actually in part a collection of tests in which humans find themselves tested in a context which sometimes feels strangely familiar. The reading we had from 1 Kings reminds us of one of these times for Elijah. And what happens is a human is often separated from their community. Um, Perhaps sometimes it's the whole community too, but often it's a lone human. And they're surrounded by almost set pieces in a wilderness. Always at high places, often in God's presence, the person or community find themselves tested. Even the book of Genesis starts our Bible with one of these tests. The first humans are tested by the entry of a serpent with a dangerous question into their garden home. In the garden, it's filled with flourishing and fruitfulness. But actually, the test presents a bit of a fork in the road. They've got this fruitfulness and flourishing that they could carry on down, or they could follow human desires and their hearts. And the flourishing in Eden and life in the presence of God is transformed in just a moment as the humans find themselves exiled from Eden and instead now in a wilderness devoid of rest, protection and God's presence. Instead of flourishing, humans now flounder and the order as it existed is turned upside down, isn't it? The cause of this tragedy can be traced back to a decision of a response to a test in which a path is chosen and opens up a whole world of consequences. How many times do we respond to a test by choosing the wrong fork in the road? How many times do we give in to temptation when we find ourselves in wilderness places? As much of our contemporary society runs away from consequences, They are actually part of the fabric of the reality. If the Bible tells us anything, they are going to be part of who we are and how we live our lives. And Adam and Eve find themselves in a test as the serpent asks the question. And they fail it, and they choose a path which leads to a world of disaster. And as Paul writes in Romans 5, 18, by the trespass of one man, death reigned through that one man, Adam. And a direction was chosen at this fork in the road, and a seed of destruction is planted from which countless devastating shoots emerge. And in the midst of this test, there's something else we cannot ignore, and that's the temptation that leads us to make that decision, that wrong decision. Temptation always exists in the container of the test. We see the devil or Satan try to, try to tempt Jesus, don't we? When he's at his hungriest in that story of Jesus in the wilderness. The tests reveal the state of our hearts. 
and temptations attempt to change how we respond, attempt to change our hearts. But there's good news. Because actually, tests will come our way. And even in James 1.14, it states, each person is tempted. They're dragged away by their own evil desire and entice. We are going to be tempted. But the good news is that actually, Jesus has already won. And we see that in the story today, don't we? We are going to come across times in our lives where we give in to tests. Um, I don't know about you, but it's so easy, even just walking into the supermarket, going to Morrison's and thinking, I'm going to buy a load of healthy stuff today. I'm going to be so good. I'm going to fill my trolley with um, some nice vegetables. I'm going to get some nice proteins. I'm going to have a good, good time. And then you walk past the seasonal aisle. And in the seasonal aisle, you'll see there's some nice... um, treats and you think well it's not quite Easter yet it's only January but it is nearly Lent Uh, and actually if I'm going to give up chocolate and Lent maybe I should have some now um, because that that way then I won't I I, I won't miss it so much when I give it up in Lent Uh, and we get tempted but at first we just sort of see the the mini eggs and we think oh they look good they look good maybe I'll go and look at how much they are and then they're on offer, so you think, okay, well, maybe I should just get a packet, take it home. And then you think, well, I'm just going to have one of the mini eggs. I'm just, I'm just going to have one. That, that, that's okay. That's not giving in too much to the temptation. And then I'll, I'll carry on with my healthy eating the rest of the day and the rest of the week. And then you have one, and then you think, oh, actually, that was really nice. I'm going to have another one. And then it's really, really hard to put the packet down and not have any more, isn't it? It's really, really hard, and it's so easy. But, and it seems so little, and it seems so small, and it seems like not very much. But when we give in to temptations, what happens is it changes our heart. I'm not saying you can't have any mini-eggs, guys. <laughs> but when we give in to temptations, it gradually changes our heart. And inside our heart becomes more cloudy and muddy and hard for us to be doing the things that God wants us to do. We're walking away from the flourishing and the garden of Eden that God is calling us to be in. We're walking away and we're going down our own path. We're going down our own way. So how do we respond when we face a test, when we face temptation? And what do we do? Well, as much as we've tried to kind of make our world a smooth place and unchallenging, Things will come our way. We will end up walking into Morrison's and be tempted by the season while. It is designed to, test, to tempt us. But 1 Corinthians 10.13 tells us that no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to humans. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. I mean, that's good news, friends, isn't it? as good news, because there is always a way out. It's saying there's not going to be a temptation given to you in which there isn't a way out. God's response to the tests we see, Adam and Eve, Elijah, and others throughout the Bible, so many others fail. All humans fail, and we continue to fail. God's response to this great tragedy of sin and falling of humanity isn't another approach to do something different. It's not a theory, a tactic, a philosophy, or a personal kind of improvement plan that's going to get us on the right track. 
Instead, what we see is the story of the temptation in the wilderness. And it bookends what we see happening at Easter on Good Friday. What he does is he places himself at the centre of the test. The answer isn't having resoluteness or resilience or smarter critical thinking about how do we think well through tests. It's a person. It's Jesus. And it's on the cross that Jesus becomes sin so that we don't have to pay the price for sin. And Jesus faced the greatest test of all so that we don't have to. You see, even when we give in to our temptations, we have hope. There is a hope and a future. And because of Jesus, because of what he did for us, actually the muddiness and the dirt in our hearts go away. Because through him we're made clean. He faced the ultimate test. In the wilderness we see just the start of that. He's able to deal with all the mess in our hearts. So when we find ourselves in those wilderness places where we're tempted, where we face tests, where we face trials, and we will, friends, we will, the answer is to look to Jesus. Not to have a smart, problem-solving way out that's going to get us out of the temptation, but actually look to Jesus because he's the one who has already won. He has already cleanse us from our sin. It says here in in Corinthians, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might find righteousness in God. We can't earn this righteousness ourselves. It's given to us, given to each of us. It's a gift of grace. Grace is a seed that's planted in the centre of each of us. So that even when we face tests and trials and temptations, we are able to continue on the path of life that Jesus set the tone for us for. And this is an incredible love of God, isn't it? Hebrews says he was tempted in every way, yet he did not sin. So in the wilderness, we discover Jesus showing obedience where humanity chooses rebellion. He chooses faithfulness, where we chose betrayal. And soon it will be the season of Lent, where we follow Jesus towards Easter, and we trace his steps in doing so, and we're reminded that actually we don't have to carry the burden. Instead, his burden is light. We simply have to stay close to him, walking in his footsteps. So when there's chaos around us, when we feel like we've been flung into the wilderness, plucked into a place where we don't have control, there will be temptations. There will be tests. But actually, all we need to do is place him at the centre. Temptations will come, but we can resist them by placing Jesus at the centre. So when you find yourself tempted, there are some things you can do to help us grow in those wild places. Because it's in those places we're shaped and we're formed. We can respond with scripture. We can respond with words from the Bible. Now, if you're anything like me, I'm dyslexic, and sometimes I find it difficult to remember every word in the Bible, like particular phrases that I want to recite over. 
But you know what? A lot of the songs that we sing are full of scripture. So just sing a line of a song. If you find yourself coming across a trial and it's just really tough, just sing a song in your head. Or if there's a verse that just really strikes you, learn it, recite it. Say, no, I've got this over me. I've got Jesus. He's already claimed me. I'm a child of God. Because it's in those places where we're really formed, where our character is really revealed. And you might be thinking in those wild places, what really can grow? But actually, the story of Jesus in the wilderness, the story of Elijah, shows us that faithfulness, obedience, and communion with God are places that we can reach for in that place of wilderness. And actually, it's a place that leads to flourishing, to us being with God. So it's a good place to be, despite it being hard. And if the story of Eden, of Adam and Eve, failing that test, tell us anything, it's that we haven't, we're probably going to get it wrong. But because of what Jesus has done, he's already won the day. He reverses this. It begins in the wilderness with Jesus, and he shows us a path which leads us to Easter morning, to the resurrection. So that when Mary discovers the risen Jesus, she mis- don't you remember, she mistakes him for a gardener. That's significant, isn't it? A detail that's so important that we sometimes miss. What Jesus is doing is building a new garden in the world. From wilderness, blooming can happen when we place Jesus at the centre. So let's place him in the midst of our temptations and choose to commune with him, not the thoughts and trials and tests that come against us. Right, kingdom, Jesus-centred choices. Now, some of you in this room are somewhere in the process of being confronted by temptations or tests or trials. Some of you at home as well may be feeling like you're in a place of wilderness, like you're a bit alone. And we all feel that at times. We all do. But there is a way out. Jesus is the way out. So let's place him at the centre, individually for each of us, as a church, as a community, Jesus at the centre. Because in the midst of the wild, God can spring and bloom wonderful things. So wherever you feel you are today, know this, Jesus has won the day and he can spring and bloom wonderful things out of the life that you're called to live even when we take those wrong turns, even when we choose that wrong fork in the way.